Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome today. It's good to see you here in the spiritual sense. I think I can see you, even though I'm looking at the TV screen. It's a beautiful day up here in Virginia. And it probably is where you are, too. It's always beautiful when you wake up with the Lord and decide to take a little time out for him and have a Bible study. It's a wonderful thing to do. We're warm and beautiful. And it's springtime here. Gorgeous flowers. Uh, I had a restful night. I hope you did. And uh, I hope this morning you got a chance to maybe get out and walk and get some exercise. I did. I noticed the birds flying around and just just loving one another and all the beauty of springtime. We come now to to talk about a, a scripture and a lesson. Two little things. One, we're going to look at a scripture and then try to gather maybe some lessons from it of, of a topical nature. You understand? We're going to we're going to read a text. And then we're going to take a topic and we're going to address the topic through the lens of the text that we have read. That's the way we're going to do it. And the, the, the topic, as I began to read from the uh, Bible here, the topic is the word revival. Revival is a word that we're going to look at in lesson form after reading this, this text. I think you'll make the connection in your mind. As I read it for you, we're going to look at this now. And this is, I'm using again this, this living Bible because I have some, some, uh, well, reasons that this needs to be made clear and in more modern day English. So you look at it, the prophet Ezekiel. If you go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, take your Bible and Scrabble through there and see if you can find Ezekiel and then the 37th chapter. And I will read at the first verse of it. The power of the Lord was upon me and I was carried away by the spirit of the Lord to a valley full of old dry bones that were Scattered everywhere across the ground. He led me around among them. And then he said to me. Son of dust. Can these bones become people again? I replied, Lord, you alone know the answer to that. Then. He told me to speak to the bones. And say, oh, dry bones, listen to the words of God. For the Lord God says, see, I'm going to make you live and breathe again. I will replace the flesh and muscles on you, cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you shall live and know I am the Lord. So, I spoke these words from God, just as he told me to, and suddenly there was a rattling noise, 
from all across the valley. And the bones of each body, they came together and attached to each other as they used to be. Then, as I watched the muscles and flesh formed over the bones and the skin covered them. But the bodies had no breath. Then he told me to call to the wind and say, The Lord said, God says, Come from the four winds, O Spirit. Breathe into these slain bodies that they may live again. So I spoke to the winds as he commanded me, and the bodies began breathing. They lived and stood up a very great army. Then he told me what the vision meant. These bones, he said, represent all the people of Israel. They say, we have become a heap of dried out bones. All hope is gone. But tell them, the Lord God says, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again and return to the land of Israel. And then at last, oh, my people, you will know I am the Lord. I will put my spirit into you. And you shall live and return home again to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have done just what I promised you. And there is the reading of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel for today. What a wonderful, powerful vision. What a scene. In our hymnal is a hymn called Who is He in Yonder Stall? Written by a, a traveling composer, evangelist by the name of Robert R. Hanby. Wrote it in 1866. Not too much longer. He died of tuberculosis. But he worked for the Underground Railroad trying to help free the slaves. A wonderful man wrote this little hymn and other hymns. But this one especially. Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord. Oh, wondrous story. Tis the Lord. The King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Lo, at midnight, who is he who prays in dark Gethsemane? Who is he in Calvary's thrones asks for blessings from his foes? Who is he that from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from yon throne rules the world of light alone? Ah, tis the Lord. Oh, wondrous story, tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall, crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Let's pray a minute, let, let us pray. 
Almighty God, you are everlasting. You have safely brought us to the beginning of another day. Defend us with your mighty power. And grant that this day we may fall not into sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, ordered by your governors, may be always righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a vision. Charles Handy, I picked him, I mean, Benjamin Handy, because he just had everything encapsulated in that short little hymn. That was a revival hymn that was used a great deal in camp meetings. It was very, became very popular camp meetings uh, in the 1800s. Wonderful thing. Sweet little, sweet tune. Uh, and they would sing that thing over and over. The main reason is everything in it tells you about Jesus, everything Jesus did, and why he's important. It's all laid out there for you. You read that thing and, and digest it. You've got the whole, whole ball game. Here in the Old Testament, with our reading from Ezekiel, we have dropped back farther in the field from the days of the Christian revival. We've gone back into deeply into the Old Testament here to sometime around 600 years, 605, 50 before Jesus to a time when Israel was crushed down by its enemies and, and drug off into, into a place where they didn't want to go. And then the same thing happened to Judah. They were busted to pieces and drug off. Among those people carried away, they, they, incidentally, they took the good people. I mean, people that had something to offer, professional people and all, and priest people. And this guy was a priest prophet. He was a priest named Ezekiel. By the way, that's become a popular name for children nowadays, too. Ezekiel is the name of child. The nickname is Zeke, but most people take the name Ezekiel and just use that as the name for the child's pretty name. name. Ezekiel was carried away and in exile. He has visions from the Lord. Uh, The first part of Ezekiel is about the bad things they did, the judgment visions. The last part is the visions where they're going to all go home again. And uh, in that circumstances, it seemed impossible. And in one of his visions, he sees this valley of dry bones. Valley of dry bones. I must tell you, this is a, a, a very popular prophet and text among African American people. And I, I am joining together with, with uh, Benjamin Hanby here to remember that. He worked on the Underground Railroad and he knew some of the horrors that, that they went through. But this, this prophet, because of these wonderful visions that you can talk about and readily Remember, these these things uh, had a great depth in the African-American community. In fact, in Maryland, in eastern Maryland, right now they're in process of excavating uh, some slave quarters there. And they are finding artifacts to gather together in religious symbolism. Um, and the slave was of African descent and had... Some of that mixed in with this, but one of the items was a wheel. And it was determined that the wheel represented Ezekiel, because you understand in the beginning of, uh, of Ezekiel, you have this wheel coming out that, that he sees, a great wheel. 
And uh, the preachers would preach about this freely, about well, about this Dry Bone Valley. Some of the greatest African-American sermons come from this Dry Bone Valley. I mean, it'll scare you to death if you if you give it at least a little bit of credence. What you come up with is a, a science fiction piece here. Uh, you've got things happening that shouldn't happen, and you've got them happening in a way that creates a condition in which faith follows. Uh, it brings hope to you. It brings hope. See, all of Israel's soldiers, all of Israel's uh, people that were protecting them had been overrun and, and, and completely defeated by their foes from the north, the Babylonians and all. And, uh, just, just, it was just a mess. And Ezekiel sees himself walking among the bones of these defenders who are gone now. And all of a sudden he, he sees them come to life, sees the bones running along the ground like chickens to gather together into one person and cause them to stand up. And what stands up is a warrior. And a warrior who cannot breathe is not worth a cent. And he calls on God to give breath. And the breath comes and animates all these soldiers. And Ezekiel says, well, we're going home. That's all. You may not think so, but the God has given us hope. We're going home. And the Hebrew says that St. Paul got it wrong. He, faith, hope, and love. And St. Paul says the greatest of these is what? Love. Hebrew says, no, that ain't so. Faith, hope, and love. No, the greatest of these is not love. The greatest of these is hope. And they maintain it that, that they had such persecution, such such murderous things done to them, that the, the, the best thing they could have is not love, but hope. Hope for a future, hope for a future. And I, 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 sh- I shudder to think this, but I believe the African-American community deserved a helping of hope at this at that time in history. And this gave it to them. This, all these wonderful visions, you know, could could be turned into into something to, that was inspirational, make you want to shout, make you want to holler. And they did in these revivals. And that this subject, that topic, I want to do with you today. I want to invest some time in that with you. Uh, I was given this as an opportunity to talk to you about this, and I appreciate the ministry allowing me to to discuss this with you a little bit. A revival is when something improves and when something has a growth in its strength and its condition. So you see the dry bones here can be, can be seen as a, as a, a, maybe a church or maybe it's you. Maybe it's your brother or your kid people. Somebody who's just dried out and, and no longer Good for anything. But the Lord can bring life to that. Can restore its structure, its strength, its flesh, its breath. Church revivals in this country, and that's pretty much what I'm going to talk about this morning. There's places, lots of places. But here, uh, a revival generally is a word that is directed toward the church or the, or a congregation of people. And they represent a series of what they call protracted meetings. In fact, before the word revival was used, the word protracted meetings were used. We'd have every summertime and springtime, time like this, maybe a little bit later on, they would gather together somewhere and praise the Lord. 
in a series of protracted meetings. In fact, the series of protracted meetings in this country often preceded the structure of a building to have a church in. They would find somewhere that they would enjoy being together, and they would go there, and they would have a mass meeting. And it kind of developed into what we call a revival. It was that time when they got together for the specific reason of spiritual growth. Usually in the summertime, like I said, and, and it, it, it helped them to, to get away from certain things. Like oppressive heat. Sometimes if they were in a building, it was wonderful to get out of it in the summertime because it had no air conditioning and it was hot as a mischief in there. So, they were delighted to get out and go somewhere else and get together. Often several churches together would come together and have revival time. In my hometown, down in uh, on the east coast of Virginia, we had a, a building constructed just for that. We called it a tabernacle It was in Matthews County. It was built in 1922 for the purpose of having mass meetings and revivals together. And what a wonderful thing. They, they put sawdust down on the ground. They had like 20-some rows of seats in it. It was a big thing. It looked, like a, it looked like a church. It was gorgeous. It had gables on it. and They just put the best they had into it. And every August, they would get together and go down there. And all the churches would come together, whether no matter what denomination they were. They'd, yeah, they'd get a good preacher to come in there and stump and preach and talk. And he would preach himself out of his jacket and into his shirt, and I as a little boy would sit down there with my grandmother and, and watch that man talk about things like like dry bones and, and all those times when the Lord would put flesh on things, and then I'd get tired, and my grandmother would take me out in the parking lot and lay me down in the back seat of her old Plymouth, and I'd go to sleep, and I could hear, I could hear it out of the window of the car, I could hear the singing of the people. And they'd be saying, who is he in yonder stall? Praise for blessings on us all. And I'll be laying out there listening to it. Well, that's what revival means to me. It's sweet. It's sweet. It's like iced tea, fried chicken. There was always, there was always food involved in it. Uh, it was meant to be a good time, a happy time, not a static, linear time, but a measured spirituality that came on an annual basis. Kind of like when you go to rekindle the flame. You, you know, you don't get this every week. Man, you couldn't stand it if you got it every week. You get it once a year. And you invest in that and you go there and you let that be your place, your time of revival. And you watch the Lord kick all the obstacles out of the way so that you can get there. You watch the Lord make it so that you can go. You may say, well, I don't have enough money. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's been a hard year. I had a rough time. Yeah, well, you want to you want to wait, hold back on that, and come and find yourself some joy, 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 man. Hmm. Now, here's the, the the twist on this is, this is a spirituality that is not common everywhere. I mean, not everybody know, knows what a revival is or even cares. The myth of a revival, uh, it's not about learning stuff so much. Uh, there's a mysticism, there's a monasticism, there are other kinds of ways to become spiritually woke, if that's what you want, you know. But a revival is more, more normally for country folk 
and it is for city folk. Because now, you know, you mentioned that word in in some of our places where where urban, more urban areas, they go, "What is that?" And then you tell them what it is, and you say, "You mean you're gonna get happy singing a bunch of hymns and listening to a preacher with no jacket on?" I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, times change. Time time change. But in revival, we would re resurface the love of God in us. Put a new blacktop on the road that we already wore during the year, had potholes in it. We would learn to love again, appreciate the holiness as another thing that we didn't always cotton to or know much about. But when we all came together in that tabernacle, the Pentecostal people were some of the biggest in the crowd. I mean, some, some, some of the some of the most wonderful people in the crowd. Remember them little ladies had a half in a bun and they were just as tight as that hairdo was. I mean, they were tough. And we learned that we could have a passion again for God's word and for his church. And we were aware of our own, we became aware of our personal sin, particularly if somebody would testify, which often happened, and they would testify how they were struggling with something. And we'd all get, get, get winded by that and come to understand that it was possible to be a sinner and be, be a grateful, be grateful for Jesus who forgave us and died for our sins. And a corporate sin. They would talk about things, you know, that they were always down on drinking. I mean, man, man, the roots of, of temperament movement is strong in the revival movement. I mean, they'd get together, they'd put that down. Spirit of humility. They wanted humble people. It wasn't for rich people. It was for humble people. And a desire to repent and to grow in God. That's what the revival was. Now, we still have revivals in the, in the church. We have them. And, and people preach them. I know when I was a young man in, in seminary, just gone, still in working. I was still working in, in business and trying to go to school and took a, a, an appointment as an assistant on a four-point charge down in the northern neck of Virginia. Man, I was working myself to death. And those people, they had a revival every Easter night. Now, it started Easter night, and it ran through the week as long as it would go till it, till it died of its own accord somewhere along the road, usually about Wednesday or Thursday. So for several days, you, you, you would uh, go through this period in a, in a revival. And who do you think they asked to do the revival Easter night? None other than me. And I had no, no more sense than to say that I would. And after a, a long drive to just get there, where they were, and then we could have a sunrise service at 6 o'clock in the morning and then preach three or four times after that and then turn around and wolf down a sandwich and go back in to preach a revival. When I got to that revival, I was done. I was just like these dry bones here in Ezekiel. There was no flesh on me, no blood in me, nothing but a husk. And I told him so. I said, I cannot do this. I am dead tired. I'm going home. I love you, but we've done all we could do with this religion today. And they, you know what they did? They clapped. I declare they did because they were all tired too. We just had to face up to the fact that we were done. Now, it didn't help my career a whole lot, I can tell you that. <laughs> it didn't make the presiding pastor 
really didn't feel real good either. You know, some of the people that had driven a long way to hear me preach, which, which they had none. But I don't care. If you don't take care of yourself, particularly in the ministry, sooner or later you'll collapse under the weight. And no matter how smart you are, how good you think you are, there's going to come a time when you're going to give out. And you don't want it to be during the revival if you can help it, I tell you. But, but they're serious Christians, like I was at the time. I thought I could do anything. And I could not. And just like many serious Christians in serious churches, they will wear themselves out doing good. Just wear themselves out. I mean, they'll give food to the needy until their fingers fall off. They will scrub and rub and do more things to, 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 to try to get themselves somewhere near heaven that they don't know what to do. Their feelings will get overloaded and hurtful. Next thing you know, they'll be fussing at one another because they're all doing something that's too hard for anybody to do, working too hard. So revival time was a resting time, a resting time. You knocked it off. You knocked it off. You went out somewhere or another with the other churches, and you banded together on these old wooden benches, and you talked with each other about what your life was like. You confessed that you were worn out and tired, and, and most of us are worn out and tired from this long pandemic thing. We just beat. That's all. <laughs> we just beat. We got, our bones are dry. And, and you know what you should do? Go to a revival. Find yourself one. You say, well, my church don't have one. That's cool. Find one that does. If it's 400 miles, I have driven 400 miles to a good revival. You know why? Because preachers would get on fire in a revival. Not because they're good or anything, but because the Lord will use the opportunity to bring about revival. The Lord will do that. Oh, my, my. And, uh, you know, I, I want you to understand that you can trans, some people will transfer this into something else. Some, homecoming is another thing people like to talk about a lot as a resting wonderful time, food and you, but this is not a homecoming. This is a specific time set aside to draw near to God, draw nearer to God. Well, I want to say that the witness of a mass meeting is a powerful thing, and it's all right for you to go there. It's all right for you to go to the altar. It's all right for you to do those things that you ordinarily might not do in your home church. It's okay because you're on a quest. You're on a pilgrimage. So maybe you might consider rekindle this year as a way to just, just retouch, retouch the thing, to sharpen up. And, you know, it's okay. Like I said, somebody did a, a survey on Billy Graham's ministry in, in England. Only the English, I think Greg would probably do this, but everybody would too. They checked on him. Uh, you know, they, he has an altar call, and people would come and fill out a card. Well, somebody noticed that the same people were filling out the same card every year. And they said, well, what? he's not effective. He's just the same people are coming to his altar every year. And somebody said, no, he's very effective. Anytime you can get people to come back to a revival meeting, Year after year after year, something's going on powerful. He's meeting the needs. So go on and go. go, on and go. Think about what a revival means. If you just think about it, nothing's going to happen. But if you do it, oh, that's a big, that's a big thing there.
Get yourself into understanding the ebb and flow of spirituality on an annual sense. So that your whole life becomes one of growth and knowledge of God. Well, I'm done. I enjoyed being with you this morning. I really did. Now I want you to have a good day. I don't know what it's going to take. but I want you to figure out a way. Have yourself a good, good day. Maybe it's a cup of coffee like this. Mm-hmm. Have you had your coffee yet? Well, you better go get it. You better go get it. And I'll see you next time. If there is one, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Brilha a luz